Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We're ready. We're finally doing this. This is always such an interesting episode to prepare for because it really relies on time and like a lot of review, at least for me, like going back online um, reading, listening, um, cause it's general conference. Yeah. It requires a different kind of effort. You know, it's kind of funny because when you texted me on Sunday saying like, Oh, can we wait to record until like this other day? I was like, yes. Oh yeah, sure. That's mm-hmm. fine. And then immediately after sending that text, I was like, Oh my gosh, we're actually going to have the transcripts of general conference by the time we record. It's not just going to be our notes anymore. (laughs) And I got really excited about it. Yes. Yeah. That really, really helps. I was like, I I get to fact check myself. (laughs) Hey, hey. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I always end up like scouring like, like all the social platforms to see like what quotes and what thoughts people have gathered yeah. to like assess them like, compared to like my own notes and everything to compare contrast etc and that's just like on a whole other level so yeah so this time it was really nice to have time to go to directly to the source and reflect on that more. I know it was so great honestly like this is a lesson for us for the future like we are never going back to the <laughs> finish the last session of conference record the next day <laughs> get the episode out oh two days God. later no, do that. never again no we're gonna wait a week no we this is <laughs> oh my gosh this is the way to do it yeah so <laughs> you learned our lesson <laughs> we're learning as we're going that's what this whole life is about exactly exactly and you know we're just here yeah we're here to learn absolutely everything and if this is one of the most important lessons we get out of general conference then so be it true <laughs> preparation we need it yeah time yeah for sure okay so obviously we're going to be talking about general conference clearly clearly (laughs) we've said general conference like 18 times already so buckle up bros and boys and girls (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) think for a second i was waiting for you to (laughs) see where you're going with that i don't know welcome everyone human creatures entities trash whatever i'm gonna go with that trash lovable trash yeah there we go (laughs) all right so just a quick overview if you haven't chimed in what to any of our other down conference reviews and if you don't have that much experience with the with our church overall or with down conference just a reminder um down conference is the worldwide gathering of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints where viewers learn how to find peace hope and joy in jesus christ how to strengthen families by following jesus's teachings and how to receive personal guidance and inspiration from god so this is our church leaders coming together speaking mainly in salt lake city and our the church building the conference center Thank you. Uh, but of course, things have been changing a little bit uh, due to COVID. So I think, do you know where they actually were? It is in the conference center. It's just the conference center theater. So there's a little theater. It's like meant for smaller meetings in the conference center. Well, and then it was also there. And then there were a few showings um, that were pre-recorded in other locations. Yes. Which I really liked. I yeah. don't recall if they were 
their last year. Um, if if it, did they do that last October? They only did with Elder Gong, I believe, because okay. Elder Gong had been exposed to COVID, and so he pre-recorded his message at home. I remember that one. Yeah, that was so sweet. Okay, yes. Okay. So, yeah, John Conrad's such an exciting and interesting opportunity to listen to our church leaders. However, we do know that this can be hard for some people for various reasons. Mm -hmm. A lot of singles don't like to listen because of how many talks focus on having a family or children. For example, we get that. Other people have been hurt and have suffered different types of trauma in other ways that leave them uncomfortable to participate. We understand that as well, and we really hope that you are doing well during this time. As for those who may not understand what other people are going through, we just hope that you can have empathy for those around you who might who might feel and not want to participate in general conference. Yeah. For us, we do try to take young conference as an opportunity to have questions answered, to receive personal revelation, and to feel the Holy Spirit. This year was especially difficult and special as my grandfather actually passed away on Sunday morning. So that was why I asked Tracy to be like, can we put this off for a while? I need to process everything in my life right now. So I actually got the news Sunday morning. Then I like within the hour, I was sitting down to listen to conference. And I actually really appreciated the, te- the, the first three talks because I just needed some comfort right then. And I really received a testimony of the resurrection of Easter, of love and hope for the future. It really helped to bring me peace and comfort throughout the week as I was going through a lot of stuff with my family. So not everything is perfect. We know that, but there are some good things that can definitely come from general conference. I agree. And I know that I touched on a few things during conference weekend on our Instagram story. And there were other great accounts. Oh, thank you. (laughs) There were other Uh great accounts like the Holy Human podcast that were giving like talk by talk reviews about things that worked well for them and that they really felt connected to and things that just were not jiving with them. And I really appreciate having those fresh takes throughout each session of conference because like even though I wasn't watching it right after each talk I would watch it between sessions it really helped me to gain a broader perspective of what everyone's viewpoint and like faith journey is like even during conference like like Kaylee said like people have different reasons for not enjoying conference as much as other people and it was really eye-opening for me during that weekend to see the full range of like emotions, memories, experiences that people have had because of conference and just pulling it all together. It was really great. So I really feel like I learned a lot during conference weekend, both from the speakers at general conference and from people on social media. So I really hope that at the end of this episode, you guys can take some time to think about how conference works for you and how it might not work for you and just be open to learning new things. Exactly. All right. So with that, we are going to go ahead and dive in. Um, We'll be going through all the sessions and we won't necessarily be speaking about every single talk 
Um, we're just going to be highlighting as usual the ones that really stood out to us that we either really liked or we had some questions about or concerns about. Yeah, <laughs> had so. strong feelings about. <laughs> strong feelings, always strong feelings. <laughs> so <laughs> let's dive in with Joy D. Jones, the recently released primary general president in her talk, Essential Conversations. So she shared the really cute story, the analogy of a toddler falling out of bed saying, I didn't get far enough in, in comparison to how far we are in our conversion to the gospel. That's just really cute. I really enjoyed that story. Like, yeah, I did too. All right. So she said, so one of her quotes are, we can have fun helping our children build spiritual resilience at any age. It doesn't have to be complicated or time sensitive. Simple, caring conversations can lead children to know not only what they believe, but most important, why they believe it. Caring conversations happening naturally and consistently can lead to better understanding and answers. I really like that. I've been realizing over the last couple of years just how important communication is and where I've lacked a lot of it in my life. I've had a lot of, I've had a hard time acknowledging the awkwardness of conversations because I wasn't really raised to be to have those kind of things and it's so important and to be able to do that with ourselves with children is so important there's a lot that we just need to be willing to talk about which is one of the reasons we have this podcast true very very true all right so she also explained how it's best for us to prepare our children early and ourselves by extension Instead of waiting until a problem arises to discuss what you do in a scenario. She compared this to a drill instructor in the Vietnam War who taught his troop to drop and be silent, motionless, count like for on countless occasions, like all the time. So then in actual war, the troops knew exactly what to do when enemy firing occurred. They were looking for movement and the poor platoon soldiers were silently thankful their instructor had been so diligently preparing them. I get iffy on some of the war analogies sometimes because it's not something I like to think about or I don't ever plan to be a soldier, but it sets for a very clear analogy. It sets for a very clear comparison saying we might not enjoy the preparation or anything that we're doing, but there's going to be moments where we need to be prepared for the worst and we need to do that ahead of time so we're not caught dead in the moment. Yeah, I kind of like how she did relate it to the drill instructor because she was basically saying that like, sometimes you're going to feel like a drill instructor as a parent, or even as like yourself as a single person, like forcing yourself or forcing your kids to like, read your scriptures or go pray or we have to get ready for church and we have to be there on time and, you know, or pushing them, I should say, not forcing them, but pushing them to do better, be better, make that relationship with Heavenly Father and make those decisions ahead of time. So that way, when the time comes where, like she said, like enemy firing is occurring, or like when you're put in those situations where you have to make a decision, and you have to choose whether to follow the Savior or to go another direction, it's better to have that quote unquote training and to know in your heart what's right, instead of having to scramble and like try and figure it out on the fly exactly oh yeah no i remember like being in young women's that age and babysitting kids who'd ask me the weird questions because they weren't comfortable asking their parents and i was like kid i am like 16 i don't have the answers to anything like i want to be able to explain things to myself and others and children in a way 
that makes sense that I completely understand. And we can't do that unless we put in the effort. Yeah, I agree. So that was the first talk. The next talk we're going to highlight is Elder Jan E. Newman's talk, um, Teaching in the Savior's Way. He is the second counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency. So he centered his whole talk around teaching and teaching in the Savior's Way. Obviously, that's the title. But he focused at the beginning about teachers who left a huge impact in his life and how not only did they show genuine love, care, and concern for him and the other students that were around him, but they created environments where true learning could occur. And he gave three principles of teaching in the Lord's Way that allow true learning to occur, which are one, emulate the Savior, two, unleash the power of families, aka learn in the home, and three, remember that conversion is personal. I really love those three principles because everything that we're supposed to be doing as disciples of Jesus Christ are really those three things. Like we are supposed to be working every day on emulating the Savior and becoming more like him. We should be focusing on unleashing the power of the families, not just like the stereotypical husband, wife, 2.3 kids or whatever it is, but like unleash the power of having one place that is set apart for learning and a safe environment. Like it's truly safe from external influences and it can help people feel like they truly belong and that they have room to question, to test things, to make mistakes and to like keep going no matter what. Right. I love that. That's a really important reminder too, Tracy, because we're single. We don't I mean, are we going to occasionally live with kids? Possibly. But we're going to have our own homes, our own places. And that's something that we can still be doing without having, you know, building up that family on our own. Exactly. And with that, he expressed how our job is to create the environment wherein someone's testimony can grow and then step back and let them make decisions that will bring them closer to the Savior. So one quote he said was, quote, Children inherit many things from their parents, but a testimony is not one of them. We can't give our children a testimony any more than we can make a seed grow, but we can provide a nourishing environment with good soil, free of thorns that would choke the word. We can strive to create the ideal conditions so that our children and others we love can find place for the seed, hear the word and understand it, and discover for themselves that the seed is good." End quote. I love that he said that you need to make ideal conditions for your children and other people that you love. Because like you were just saying, like as a single person, it is very hard to consider like cultivating an environment for like growth and nourishment of your testimony when you're like, I'm the only one that's benefiting from it. Even if you don't have a place in your life where you can go and you can seek spiritual, emotional, and mental refuge then like, how are you ever going to take that time to nourish and develop your testimony the way that you need to be doing it? Overall, I feel like the message was to just improve your teaching in the home and in the church. Exactly. I love that. And I like how it kind of falls in line with the whole uh, concept of come follow me. Like there's a reason that that learning manual was created in that time for us to be using in this time. And it's supposed to be helping us to do all of that right now. I've already said this on the podcast, but I'll say it again. I was not doing Come Follow Me every week. 
I wasn't doing it until April 2020 general conference. Like just after that, that's when I finally started doing Come Follow Me. If you haven't started already and you're like beating yourself up about it because you just feel like you're already so far behind and you could never catch up, that's fine. Like you don't have to catch up. Just start exactly on the week that we're in. Start now and go forward. Like don't look back. Don't feel like you need to go back to January 1st. Just pick up where you are now and go forward. And I promise you it will change so much about your testimony and your gospel study in general. It is a really great tool. Amen to that. So the third talk we want to highlight is Elder Gary Stevenson's talk, Hearts Knit Together. He is in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And I just wanted to highlight some of the things that he said, because he talked a lot about like hatred and cyberbullying and so on. And I really liked how he was, he quoted Ballard in talking about making sure that we don't exclude others just because of our faith. We tend to want to hang out with and have our kids hang out with people we already know and trust and understand. It's so much easier to be like, no, just hang out with the kids from, um, from mutual, from your singles ward. It's easier that way. But distrusting and ignoring people just because they believe differently than us is is cruel. It's ultimately harmful. It will create serious divides, and that's not what the Lord wants from anyone. Nor does it need to be all about like trying to convert someone to our faith. I've had a lot of people like just bring their friends and be like, yeah, like here, come to this activity and here are the missionaries. When can we meet with you? It does not need to be like that at all. You can go out and hang out with other people, like in other religions. You can hang out with people who have no, who've chosen no religion. You can go to other religious activities. You should just be a good person and interacting with people. You shouldn't be trying to create a divide just because they don't believe the same way as you. Stevenson said, the Lord expects us to teach that inclusion is a positive means toward unity and that exclusion leads to division. And that is so true. We want to believe that everyone is nice and is going to do the right thing. But he highlighted the recent hate crimes and how it's so wrong. And we can all think like, oh, yeah, this is a good person. Like the the murderer the who was killing um, the guy who did the attack on the massage parlor in Georgia in Atlanta. Yes. Yes. So they're all saying, yeah, he went to church. He was a good kid most of the time. Um, That's not an excuse. You can go to a church and still not be a good person. Being in a church does not automatically make you or anyone else a good person. No matter your beliefs, you don't have a right to harm others. We need to be including people, to be loving people, to be learning to understand them, to mourn with them when they are losing their loved ones. We need to be doing what we can to to knit our hearts together effectively. And I just really like how he said, let us let each of us, no matter our age, strive to be our best. The way we are going to do, be our best is when we are helping others to be their best. We need to be working together. We need to be including one another. And I just really liked his message. Yeah. I feel like instead of focusing so much on what makes us so different and unique as members of the church is focusing on what makes us so similar to everybody else as members of the church. Like, we spend so much time overemphasizing the fact that we're a peculiar people, quote unquote. Like, but we forget the fact that we are all sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Like, we are all God's children. No one is better than anyone else. 
we all need to be watching out for one another. Right. And even if you want to include the quote, you know, we are a chosen generation, the chosen generation is not just the people who are actually member, active members in the church. It's yeah, everyone alive. We are all here for a reason. We're all here capable of doing very good things. But creating a divide is not going to help anyone. We need to be preaching against the hate, unlearning our biases, and coming together. I mean, one of the things I really enjoyed about Orlando was how they were always having that they had that annual um oh yes the religion summit yes yeah so it'd be like uh three or four different faiths who'd come together with uh their leaders and it was free to the public and they'd always have a couple of speakers and they'd just be sharing about their religion and current like current issues and how this is affecting them and it was very educational and i think everyone needs to learn more about that But not just that, it was also so uplifting because everyone in that room was there to learn and celebrate the fact that they all believed in a higher power together. Like, because we, it's not just like three different religious leaders from Christianity. Like, it would be like a rabbi and an imam and some Christian leader. And then, like, they would throw something else in there every now and then, too. And everyone would just be like, this is what we believe. This is what you believe. We all believe in a higher power. We all believe that we're children of this higher power. Like we all need to unite and to help one another. And it was always such a powerful like summit in the summit like session. And it was, it's one of those things that like you cannot describe the feeling in the room other than like you just feel so closely connected to everyone around you. And it's, yeah. Take time to learn about other people's religions. Please, you guys. There's, it's it's fun. It's exciting. It's enlightening. And honestly, it helped me to understand my faith better. Like, it's, it's good for everyone. Okay, so another one we want to highlight is Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And his talk was Room in the Inn. So he talks about the importance of offering refuge to those who are struggling and in need of safety and help. I loved his message. People who cry out that they are in danger or need assistance, as well as those who are too afraid to ask for help. He talks about how we need to be making room to support others in our lives. I really like that. And I like how he mentioned how the church is becoming more international. So the rooted and it's like base within, within the U.S., like hello, Salt Lake City, this could change within the next five years. That's really cool. And it's something that we need to remind ourselves of when making decisions for and about the church. Because didn't he say that like there are now as many members living outside of North America as there are living inside of North America? Yes. Yeah. And so I think it was 2025. We There might be more. I don't, I can't remember if he specified which country. I feel like a, he said US and Canada, but I can't remember. Um, he just, which, it was, oh, well, I know it was Latin speak. It was Latin American countries. He was talking yes, about Latin America. Yeah. There's going to be an, as the, the same amount of numbers, if not more by 2025. Yes. And, that's exciting because I think that really opens up our eyes and the possibilities to how the church will be seen and represented. Oh my gosh, yes. We need it. it it's it's a super cool. And I, 
I mean, everyone just talks so much about Utah and it just really bugs me. And I like, we don't need the Utah culture to be what Mormonism is. And it's not like that anywhere else in the church either, which is so amazing. And it's annoying that that's all America thinks it is. (laughs) Exactly. That's not what it is. That's not what it should be. I love being able to go to other places and to experience church because then I get to see how they imbue um, our principles and how they use their faith. And there's just so much that I think that we've been ignoring or just set, been setting aside that I really want to come into the limelight to hear more, to learn more about our brothers and sisters everywhere in the world. Also, another exciting point he made, he said, also, the majority of adult church members are now unmarried, widowed, or divorced. This is a significant change. It includes more than half our Relief Society sisters and more than half our adult priesthood brothers. This demographic pattern has been the case in the worldwide church since 1992 and in the church in the United States and Canada since 2019. I feel like that needs to be echoed. That needs to be echoed so much because if it's like, if that has been the depth, that's just that last sentence. Huge. Like, this has been the demographic pattern in the worldwide church since 1992. That's almost 30 years. Right. And then in the church in the US and Canada since 2019. So since 2019, all of those stupid, like we were saying, Utah people that say that you are nothing if you're not married, you are wrong because there are more single people in the church since 2019. You're the minority here. (laughs) How does it feel, suckers? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I mean, we could do like a whole episode just talking about like this. Like, I mean, we've talked, this is like why we have this podcast. Like it's, this acknowledgement is very important to say like in general conference, Minding people that we're here, we're everywhere. Like we're not, yeah, we're not abnormal. We're not the minority here. We need to stop being ignored. Like this is a huge reminder that we are seen, that we're here, as well as that we're capable of doing great things, whether or not we are wed. Because I love, he followed this up with our standing before the Lord and in his church is not a matter of our marital status, but of our becoming faithful and valiant disciples of Jesus Christ. Adults want to be seen as adults and to be responsible and contribute as adults. Disciples of Jesus Christ come from everywhere in every shape, size, hue, and age, each with talents, righteous desires, and immense capabilities to bless and serve. We seek daily to follow Jesus Christ with faith unto repentance and enduring joy. I love that because I mean yeah we we're more than just our marital status we can do great things whether or not we are married we're not just sitting here waiting to be picked up on you know the bench and put into the game like we're already here we're doing things we're doing great things we just need to be given that opportunity amen so come on guys come on I love it I love that talk. I mean, Gong always has great stuff. I love Elder Gong. So I had to highlight that. I love it. So the last one for the Saturday morning session that we wanted to highlight was President Henry B. Eyring, um, second counselor in the first presidency's talk, I love to see the temple. So I needed to talk about this talk because I am obsessed with Eyring. Every time he talks, 
I am like, I love it. And I don't know if it's because I've met him before that I'm like extra, extra keen on him. But like, I'm obsessed with him whenever he talks. Also, I am convinced that President Irene can see the future. Or at least he has <laughs> oh, the yeah? gift of receiving visions. Because this is the third time he has mentioned seeing a vision of some future event in a conference talk within the last year. Oh, okay. Like, I had not made that connection. He has got some gifts. Like, he's got some that gifts, man. man. So, in this talk, he shared the experience of his first time in the Salt Lake Temple, receiving his own endowment. And he said that he was looking out a window, and he saw light coming through the window, and he had this feeling that he had been there before. But the spirit prompted him and told him, like, no, you haven't been here before, but instead was told, quote, you have never been here before. You are remembering a moment before you were born. You were in a sacred place like this. End quote. I love that. I'm sorry. He just had a memory about the pre-mortal existence like it's no big deal. Casually drops that in a conference talk. Yeah. My like, what the heck? Irene, come okay. on. So then years later, he discussed getting sealed to his wife and having another vision during the sealing where like in the middle of the ceiling, he said, um, President Kimball was his sealer. President Kimball had said like some random thing. And as he says this thing, his mind is caught up into a vision. And President Eyring sees, quote, a steep hill and a road leading up to the top. A white fence ran on the left side of the road and disappeared into a row of trees at the top of the hill. A white house was barely visible through the trees, end quote. Regarding his vision, he said, quote, one year later, I recognized that hill as my father-in-law drove us up that road. When we got to the top of the hill, my father-in-law stopped by the White House. He told us that he and his wife were buying the property and that he wanted his daughter and me to live in the guest house. They would live in the main house just a few feet away, end quote. He continued to explain how he and his wife felt like they wouldn't be there for long and that they needed to enjoy every second of their lives there. And that whole experience led into his meat and bones of his talk, explaining how temples are such holy places that each of us needs to increase our desire and our worthiness to not only enter the temple, but to be prepared to go to the temple every time we go. And we need to be sufficiently pure, as he said it. Um he said, quote, if you or I should go to the temple insufficiently pure, we would not be able to see by the power of the Holy Ghost the spiritual teaching about the Savior that we can receive in the temple, end quote. And just that quote made me like sit back and think for a second, like, what am I not learning in the temple that I'm supposed to be learning when I go to the temple? Like, what more do I need to be doing because Predestined and Iring's over here having visions of the pre-mortal life and like on. his future like clearly there is something that I'm missing when I go to the temple so right if that's the kind of blessing that I could get then that is definitely something that I'd be working toward like I'd be wanting to yeah and that's that's not me saying that if you go to the temple prepared like you're gonna see a vision of the future or anything but like if you are going to the temple unprepared you're going to be distracted the entire time you're in the temple and you're not going to be able to learn you're not going to leave the temple feeling refreshed and peaceful and all of those feelings that the lord wants you to feel when you go to the temple you're just going to feel like something was missing and so just thinking about 
what I need to work on so that way I can be sufficiently prepared the next time I am able to go to the temple was a big eye-opening experience during this talk. So I just, I love President Eyring. So good. So good. All right. So that was our Saturday morning session. So we're going to start out with Elder Jeffrey R. Holland's talk. He's in the Quorum of the Twelve, and he gave a talk titled, Not As the World Giveth. All right. So he said some marvelous things. He said, in a world tossed with tempests and not comforted, as Jehovah said it would be, how do we find what he called the covenants of peace? We find it by turning to him who said we would have mercy on us and with everlasting kindness would grant peace to our children. So this Easter, let's try to practice peace in a personal way, applying the grace and healing balm of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ to ourselves and our families and all those we can reach around us. Fortunately, even astonishingly, this soothing salve is made available to us without money and without price. <sighs> so good. So guys, this is a beautiful callback to our atonement series. We just finished that uh, part, four part series. If you haven't listened to it, definitely should. We really covered how the atonement of Jesus Christ is a free gift to us all, how it can heal, strengthen, and redeem us, but also how it is the way for us to receive perfect peace and aid whenever we need it. Another thing that I really appreciated during Holland's talk was how he calls out against abuse, which is an important reminder. And sometimes I kind of wish they'd go into like a, a few more specifics on what abuse really entails, but he did say a little bit and he was talking about how abusers need to like, you need to stop this and about victims that abuse is real. You don't have to go through with it. Like you don't deserve this. And it was just really important to highlight that, I think. And he said that everyone has the right to be loved, to feel peaceful, and to find safety at home. Not every situation we are in, not every person is perfect. And sometimes we have a hard time accepting that. And we need to be able and willing to open our eyes when we are doing wrong and when we know we are in a bad situation and to look for that peace. And if we are not in a situation to get that peace because of other reasons, we need to do what we can to find a way to safety so that we can find that peace. I think what I really liked about him calling out abuse so much was he told every priesthood holder, if you are the one committing abuse, you have already broken your priesthood covenants and you are not worthy yes. of that anymore. So whatever you are doing and for whatever reason you're doing it, it's not what you think it is and you need to stop. You need to cut that out right now. And I just love that he basically just called out every patriarchal priesthood dickhead in the church and said like, your priesthood is nothing if you're doing this in your home. So love it. If you're disrespecting your family members, you don't, you don't deserve the priesthood. Like, yeah, it's, it's as simple as that, honestly. So he had some very strong words that I really liked. Yeah, I have loved it. All right. So the next one is Dale G. Renlin's talk, Infuriating Unfairness. Yes. I already talked about this on our Instagram story. And I will say it again, because I feel like it's important to say this part. I was not about this talk when he first started. He started talking about unfairness that occurs as a result of people using their knowledge and diligence to make choices that lead them down different paths 
that we then think is unfair when things don't work out how we hope they would. The way he said it made it sound like he was saying, your problems and challenges happen in your life because you chose wrong, and these people chose right, so you're being punished, and they'll always be prosperous. Like, he didn't say it exactly like that, but that's how I was taking it. And I was pissed because I was like, being diligent and choosing one thing all the time will not free your life from trials. You cannot choose one certain way every time and be free from trials and hardships and challenges in your life. And him saying it like that made it sound like that's the case. Right. I mean, I'm going to say it again. I said it on Instagram and I will say it again on this podcast. I considered flying to Utah and slapping him in that moment because I was like, that is not at all how the gospel works and you are teaching it wrong right now. Girl, I would have picked you up at the airport and driven you there. But I would like to point out that I did not do that. I paused. I breathed. I said, Jesus, help me get through this talk because Lord knows I was going to slap a hoe. And I will say it like that. I was going to slap him. And then I chose to listen. By listening, I was able to hear the rest of the talk. Not just like in one ear out the other, but like really hear the rest of the talk. And then it like completely changed. Because then he started explaining about how some circumstances are just plain unfair without any explanation, like COVID, cancer, death, poverty, etc. Like he explained how Jesus Christ both understands unfairness and has the power to provide a remedy, that nothing compares to the unfairness that Christ endured. It was not fair that he experienced all the pains and afflictions of mankind. It was not fair that he suffered for my sins and mistakes and for yours. But he chose to do so because of his love for us and for Heavenly Father. He understands perfectly what we are experiencing. And Elder Renling continues by explaining that we need to boldly turn to the Savior when we're experiencing unfairness and lay it all on him because Jesus Christ will come to our immediate aid. So then he said that not only that, but as we come to Christ with our unfairness and trust in the power of his atoning sacrifice, that, quote, Jesus Christ will consecrate the unfairness for our gain. He will not just console us and restore what was lost. He will use the unfairness for our benefit, end quote. And I loved that quote because... We always hear how like at the second coming and at the like resurrection, the tears of pain and anguish that we cried in life will be replaced with tears of joy and gladness. And like, we've always said that quote over and over again in the church, but we never hear how Christ will consecrate our unfairnesses for our eternal gain. Like he's not just going to restore what was used against us in life or like pushed against us in life, but he will give us all of that and more. And all of that unfairness will be heaps of blessings at some point. And then he gave incredible counsel about how we need to start treating others fairly and with Christ-like compassion, because that is how we will combat unfairness in this life. And he suggested two ways for us to do that. The first way is that we need to stop throwing stones at other people when they do something slightly differently than us. And the second way 
is that we need to be the stone catchers when others are hurling stones at the people around us. I love that. That was so powerful because as members of the church, we tend to be quick to judge other people, which we shouldn't be, but we are quick to judge other people that live differently than us. And just thinking that we need to be those people to stop judging so quickly and judging so harshly and criticizing people for the way that they live, that in itself is the most powerful thing that we can be doing is cutting that out immediately. And then the second thing is we need to not only be stopping ourselves from judging people, but we need to take time to reflect on our own advantages and disadvantages that we've had in our lives. We need to ponder our weaknesses and our strengths, and we need to extend that mercy to the people around us because everyone is just trying to improve. And as we as we do this, we're promised that we will become more like the Savior and develop Christ-like empathy, which is something that everybody in this world needs. If you are willing to extend yourself that kind of Christ-like mercy and empathy, then why wouldn't you be able to extend that to somebody else? So if if someone in your life is being chastised for living a life differently than another person lives, like would you not step up and like stand up for them? Do it for people that you don't know too. Step up, stand up for them. That's what the Savior would have us do. Yes, I love that. And I, yes, this part was really powerful. And I saw, I think this is one of the bigger things I saw on social media, which I really hope people will take to heart because this is really speaking up with the lines of, you know, we need to be mourning with those who are mourning. We need to be comforting those who are in need of comfort. And we don't need to just wait on and be reactive when bad things are happening. We can be taking action. We can be proactive and say, hey, this is not going to happen anymore because you don't deserve this. No one's going to talk to you like this right now. Like, I'm not going to let that happen. We need to be there to support one another. Yes, there are going to be moments, you know, where we turn the other cheek, but we don't need to focus on letting that happen. We don't need to focus on, you know, not causing contention when we could be doing something that, protects people that helps one another um sometimes you do need to cause a little bit of contention before things are going to get better to go with that he said this powerful quote we will be judged not so much by what we say but by how we treat the vulnerable and the disadvantaged and that was like such a mic drop moment i was so strong It is true. Like we just talked about it in our resurrection episode. Like we're going to have that full recollection of everything that we ever did in this life. Do you not think that the Savior will ask us, what did you do with your brothers and sisters on the earth? Like, how did you help them? How did you love them? How did you try to uplift them and let them know that they are cared for? And if you don't have an answer for that, do not think that the Lord's just going to let it slide. Like, he is not just going to be like, oh, you know what? You were busy in life. I get it. It's it's fine. No, he is going to come down hard on you and be like, what were the two great commandments? Love God. Love your neighbor. Why didn't you follow the second one? Oh, yeah. No, there's already moments in life where I have looked back and like, I've known like right after the moment passed was like, I just made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. I said something. I did something. I didn't do something that I should have. And that still haunts me today. And that's going to continue haunting me. And I usually try to use that now to propel myself to do better. But I'm still going to make mistakes. And I know I'm going to have to answer for them in the next life. And 
that's why like I'm trying to teach myself more now to understand who the who the vulnerable are, who the disadvantaged are, and how I can help them, how they need help. Yeah. We need to be taking action and doing that for ourselves and for each other. If we're all children of God, we need to be taking care of each other. Exactly. And that brings us to the perfect conclusion of his talk with this beautiful quote. He says, Do not let unfairness harden you or corrode your faith in God. Instead, ask God for help. Increase your appreciation for and reliance on the Savior. Rather than becoming bitter, let him help you become better. Allow him to help you persevere, to let your afflictions be swallowed up in the joy of Christ. Join him in his mission to heal the brokenhearted, strive to mitigate unfairness, and become a stone catcher." So once again, I just like it that he said, don't become bitter, be better. And I know that's something that like Michelle Obama has said and Oprah has said and many other powerful people in the world have said, but it's so true that like all the effort that you spend focusing on bitterness and pettiness and hatred and everything else in between, stop it. Like stop wasting your time and just focus on becoming better. Exactly. Love that. So he ended up doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. He turned it around. (laughs) (laughs) He did. (laughs) Thank goodness. That worked out. Yes, for real. Um, However, I did find that the opposite sort of happened. And the next talk that I just want to highlight real fast. Oh, gosh. Yep. We... If you don't know what we're talking about, then you weren't paying attention. Um, So Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles uh, gave a talk about the personal journey of a child of God. Now, so he did start out with a few good points about the preciousness of children, but he quickly took another turn that neither of us are very comfortable with. To the best of our knowledge and understanding, we don't believe that he has the right or the knowledge to talk about abortion. We don't really believe that any of our church leaders do. None of them are experts. And some of the information that he provided was a little bit manipulated to work in his favor. So abortion is a very complicated topic. It, it talks about, you know, children of God. It talks about bodily autonomy and women's rights and the need for continuing humanity. So I'm sure that we will end up doing an episode about this in the future. But So we're not going to dive too deeply into this. We want to focus on highlighting the good things and the lessons that we learned during this general conference. We just invite you to do your own research on all the sides and the science behind um, the purpose, the work, and the reasoning behind abortions. And so mainly, I just wanted to highlight this to say that this is a reminder that church leaders are still human when they are called of God. While they believe they do and say everything that is well-meaning, they may still say and do things that can hurt people. General Conference is a time to hear about what the Lord may have to say to each of us, but it's ultimately up to you personally to decide what the Lord is saying to you. You are absolutely under no obligation to believe or to support all that is said by every church leader. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this when we talk about Sunday Talk by Oaks. Um, But things can be divinely inspired, but still misconstrued and interpreted differently and potentially wrongly. So that's really all I want to say about the matter myself. (laughs) Honestly, I, I listened to the whole talk and I tried to keep an open mind. Because he was sharing some really nice spiritual truths about the divinity of human life and about 
the potential that people have in this life. But at the end of the talk, my first thought, my immediate first thought was, this is going to get weaponized by the far-right extremist members of our church within the next week. And I hate that that is what my first thought was after a conference talk. I understand that our leaders try their hardest to do what the Lord's will is. And I'm not saying that people that choose to get abortions are out there to just murder babies. That is not the case whatsoever. We have to remember that like Elder Renlin just said, like, stop throwing stones and start catching them. Who was out there catching stones for the sisters in our church who have had to get an abortion, who are still covenant-keeping members of the church? Who was catching stones for them when Elder Anderson was giving that talk? I just worry that people are going to see this talk and be like, this is what the church fully believes and supports because this is what Elder Anderson said and he's a representative of the church. When that is not actually the case. And if you want to do some more research on it, I highly suggest you look at the church handbook because it's actually quite a different story than what Elder Anderson was saying. But again, like Kaylee said, you are not under any obligation to agree with every single thing that is said by a leader. It is your responsibility to take time to pray about what they have said, to ask the Lord if it's true, and to ask what you should do and what you should learn from their words. And that is all we have to say on this subject. <laughs> all right, so the next one was by M. Russell Ballard, who is the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. His talk was called Hope in Christ. So I just want to say that out of every member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, I did not expect President Ballard to be the champion for single people. I mean, I don't expect anyone to be. Did you have a thought of who might be the champion? President Nelson, obviously, because his wife was the longtime single lady. That's true. But I also feel like the younger-ish apostles, like, Bednar is kind of like a champion of singles, and Holland are kind of like a champion of singles. But I did not expect okay. M. Russell Ballard to be like, mm -hmm. I see, give some respect to the singles. Like, I did not see that uh -huh. coming. That was not on my 2021 <laughs> bingo card. Like, no. it was not. Um, but basically, Elder, sorry, President Ballard was talking about our mortal identity can be enhanced as we understand our spiritual identity in Jesus Christ. And so he said, quote, our spiritual identity is enhanced as we understand our many mortal identities, including ethnic, cultural, or national heritage. This sense of spiritual and cultural identity, love, and belonging can inspire hope and love for Jesus Christ, end quote. And then he highlighted five principles for us to understand. He said, first, scriptures and Latter-day prophets confirm that everyone who is faithful in keeping gospel covenants will have the opportunity for exaltation, regardless of your marital status. That's awesome. Then he said, second, the precise time and manner in which the blessings of exaltation are bestowed have not all been revealed, but they are nonetheless assured. And this is the one that I really like wilded down on because... He basically said, like, not every blessing is going to happen after we die. Some of these incredible blessings are going to happen to you while you're in this life. Like, so stop focusing on how just the millennium and the second coming is when you're going to get all of these blessings. Like, they could happen sooner. And I loved hearing that. 
Then he said, third, waiting upon the Lord implies continued obedience and spiritual progress towards him. Fourth, God offers eternal life to all of his children. And fifth, our confidence in these assurances is rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ, by whose grace all things pertaining to mortality are set right. I just want to reiterate that point that like, Every blessing that we have for eternal life is rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ. And if we are not developing our faith in Jesus Christ in this lifetime, we will not see those blessings of eternal life, whether in this life or in the next life. That's It's a no-go. It's not going to happen. Yes, there are people in the world that don't have the opportunity to learn about the Savior and the gospel as a whole, and that's what the spirit world is for. But like, we're members of the church. We have that opportunity we should be taking that opportunity seriously and doing everything we can to develop our faith in Jesus Christ. Once again, he was saying, and I want to emphasize this again, we can get those blessings in this life too. We do not have to wait until the second coming to receive most of those blessings. The fact that he said, like, we don't know when everything's going to be given to us. We don't know the timetable on this just emphasizes the fact that there are some blessings that you can get now in this life without having to wait until eternal life to see. And that for me was like the big like, thank you for being (laughs) a champion for singles in this moment and telling us that like we can get those blessings now as single people because of Mm -hmm. our faith and our hope and our love for Jesus Christ. Definitely. Well, and it was just very interesting because I feel like I noticed a theme about waiting. Um, I don't know if it was just like for me or just like and started throughout the conference. Um, but there are things that we do have to wait for and other things that we don't have to wait for. And I feel like it's always been said that like, okay, yeah, just wait it out. Just wait it out. Just wait it out. Um, but here he's saying like, you don't have to keep waiting for everything. And I feel like he's also saying we don't have to just keep waiting for marriage to come. Like, we don't need to keep just waiting and worrying about that. Like, because when they're talking about the singles in this conference, they hardly brought it up with marriage. That's usually when, if we ever get mentioned, they're just like, try to get married, try to get married, get that family. And they're like, okay, you need to wait for this, but you don't need to wait for this. You don't need to keep waiting on this and you don't need to keep waiting to do this. I just really, really like that because that puts it into another perspective just besides the fact of like not relating not just saying like okay singles it's time for you to get married like do something about it no it's saying like you're still you're still very valuable like you're the majority here now like there's a lot that you can be doing to help us and to be a an incredible person and to keep improving and blessings will come to you you don't have to keep worrying about it and i really really like that. I loved it. And then he went on to talk about how like young single adults and single adults and like adults are all like different labels that have been designated for us as an administrative tool. Just that, an administrative tool. That's all. And he said it is helpful administratively, but it inadvertently changes how we perceive others. Is there a way to avoid this human tendency that can separate us from one another? And then his quote of, disregard old notions and ideas that have sometimes unintentionally contributed to their feelings of loneliness and that they do not belong or cannot serve, meaning singles. 
I know I've said this many times before, either on the podcast or off the podcast. I don't think singles ward should be a thing. I think that, yes, it makes sense to have YSA wards in towns where there is a high density number of single adults, like at BYUs, like at colleges, where there are a ton of YSAs. Like, that makes sense. Everyone's between 18 and 24, and that needs to happen. But when you leave that age group, like, you're ready to move out of singles. Like, you're ready to go and, like, be integrated and learn from other people and be around kids again and be around youth. And it can benefit wards in so many ways to have and embrace single adults. If you are a single adult and you are in a family ward, you have just become the example for all of the youth. This person is single. They are still thriving. They are doing well. They are developing their testimony. Don't you want to be like them? You just became the example for older people as well. This young person is gaining a testimony, doing things on their own, and still trying to carve out time for the savior and their own things. What is your excuse as an old person for not doing the same thing? You can be that example anywhere. You don't have to be in a singles ward to do it. And you don't have to be in a singles ward to serve. You can serve anywhere. You are valuable everywhere. And so once again, did not expect President Ballard to be a champion for singles during conference this weekend, but I am so glad that he did it. Yeah. (laughs) And needed it. So valuable. That wraps up this Saturday afternoon session. I think this episode's going to end up being two hours. Um, yep. It's okay. <laughs> there was a lot. We'll just zip through it. There, it's conference. How can you short scene to? Yeah, that's true. All right. So that's Saturday morning and afternoon. But of course, we do have the priesthood session. Mm-hmm. Can't ignore that. Everyone is welcome to listen to it. There's always good things that are said. So, of course, we have a few talks that we want to talk about. Yeah. All right. So, our very first one was Elder Ahmed S. Corbett, first counselor in the Young Men General Presidency, in his talk titled, You Can Gather Israel! Exclamation point. This dude was preaching a whole damn sermon, and I was here for every second of it. Did you listen to it live? Yes. Okay. Girl, girl, this talk was chef's kiss. It was so good. (laughs) Brilliant. So, of course, as I think it happens in most priesthood sessions, he ended up focusing his message about missionary work. And I just feel like that always plays into the priesthood session. Um, Always. So, it's all good. So, he talked about that with the gathering of Israel on two specific things. One, your true identity. And two, the powerful faith within you. So, he talked about how for your true identity, he explained how we all overcame Satan in the pre-mortal life by the word and power of our testimonies. Because we have that knowledge that we overcame him once before, it should help us to understand that we will be able to do it again. So, for your powerful faith, he shared an analogy on how your faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it grows. The best way to strengthen your faith now is to relearn to look forward and see with that same certainty we had in the pre-mortal existence, the Lord's promise to gather and save today. So he recommends envisioning the end goal, seeing everyone, you know, in white for missionaries or seeing your family reunited in the spirit world or whatever it is, and making actionable steps to get to that goal. And it was interesting to see how he highlighted short-term goals, which can help reignite your powerful faith. 
Everything you do doesn't have to be super intimidating. I really like that point, especially because we're always told to endure to the end, to focus on, you know, the light at the very end, making it through the path and everything. But to get there, we do have to be taking one step at a time. Short-term goals is how we get started. And that's how you can measure your growth too. Like if you're having short-term goals, you can see how far you've grown Mm -hmm. in like a short period of time instead of saying like, oh, my goal is eternal life. Okay, well, how have I grown? I can't measure that. But if your goal is like, okay, eternal life, but my short-term goal is to read the Book of Mormon or to read a conference talk every single day, you can check those things off and see how your progress goes as you are going along. Exactly. So helpful. And so, of course, he concluded by quoting Elder Anderson, which is one of my favorite quotes, your faith will grow by choice, not by chance. So it's like we're always saying you're not going to get into heaven by accident. You're going to get there by doing deliberate actions that have brought you to that point. I loved his talk. Honestly, listen to it again, watch it again, read it Mm. again. It was so good. I need to. All right. So the next talk we wanted to talk about is from S. Gilford Nielsen of the Quorum of the Seventy, his talk titled, This is Our Time. I love him every time he talks. He has so much energy when he talks. He brings like positive, (laughs) upbeat, like exuberant energy. He is just so, it's so different because like, I feel like everybody else in conference is like calm and like, la 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 la. And he comes in and he's like, let's do this and let's do this. Blah, blah, blah. Like I love it. I appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm. My first point about this talk besides his energy is who knew that he was in the NFL? Who knew? <laughs> who knew this? I did not. And I did research during this session while he was talking because like the whole beginning point of his talk is that he shares a story of when he was playing his first game in the NFL and he was facing down these huge linebackers on the opposing team. And he realized that he could be strong and courageous in the face of difficult situations. Like if he was able to get through this game and like his first tackle of the game, Mm -hmm. then he could be strong in the face of difficult situations. Yes. For those of you wondering, he was a quarterback on the Houston Oilers from 1973 to 1983. Did you know that the Houston Oilers was a team that existed? Because I sure didn't. <laughs> I mean, I don't follow sports, but I definitely had not heard of that team. So but then good when for I, him. When I found out he was a quarterback, I was like, oh, that makes sense because he's really like small. And I mean, I guess he's like 6'4", oh, yeah. but like he seems like very <laughs> lightweight, small. 14 inches taller than myself. That's small. Okay. I just mean like weight small, like he's okay. built like a quarterback, not but not like a linebacker. Uh-huh. Anyways, sports. Um, sports. So then he says this great quote. He says, maybe we don't always feel up to the challenge, but our heavenly father sees us as builders of his kingdom. That is why he sent us here during his most decisive time in the world's history. This is our time, end quote. And then he goes on to explain how like, People in the scriptures that we read about, like Moroni and Alma and Esther, and so many other people seem larger than life because of their faith, but they are not different from any of us. He says, quote, they were regular people who faced challenges. They trusted the Lord. They made the right choices at pivotal moments. And with faith in Jesus Christ, they performed the works required in their time, end quote. And I really loved hearing that because it emphasizes how our time in this life is 
really our time to shine. Like this, we are in the game. If you're going for a sports analogy, like this is our time to tie our shoes, put our helmet and pads on for football and like go in the game and go all out. This is our time to bring about miracles, to make amazing things happen in our lives and in the lives of people around us. We have no reason to not feel capable or powerful enough to do these miraculous things because we have the power and ability within us to make it happen. The way that we do this is by making good choices, focusing on developing your faith in the Savior, and trusting that the miracles will happen in little ways all the time. I love it. I loved his talk. The way he said to do it is to make the good choices. Like He just phrased it so simply that when I was writing his talk, I was just like, I really like this because yeah, we always set up these prophets and our church leaders and miracles as really big things. But miracles happen in small ways all the time. We just aren't paying that much mind to them. And if we can be making those small steps, if we can be keeping our eyes open and helping those around us, there's a lot that we can be seeing and doing. It's really incredible. And I always feel like whenever he talks, I just have more energy and excitement to do these things. And so I just, I appreciate that man a lot. All right. So the third talk we want to highlight from the priesthood session is, of course, President Russell M. Nelson's talk, What We Are Learning and Will Never Forget. So interestingly enough, he begins by saying that it's been two years since the last priesthood session and how even though many of us have experienced a lot of suffering and loss, there are many things that we've also found. So he invites us to think about the last two years and reflect on if you've been able to increase your ability to hear the Spirit, to improve your relationships with loved ones, and and the Lord gained a fresh perspective on life, consider how you've grown, what you've learned, and how the hand of the Lord has guided you. So I really like this point because as we were preparing for a general conference, I remember a lot of people like highlighting like, hey, here, like President Nelson has been asking us to do this, to prepare in this way and so on. Um, everything that I had clearly forgotten somehow, unfortunately. Um, but I like to be able to see people's messages and their thoughts and saying like, here, here's how I've grown. Here's what I've learned over this time. And I really valued that. Though I was confused because I thought there had been a preset session last year. I think last year in April was when we had the like, the adult session. Oh. Not like an adult session, but like it was another. Like 12 and up kind of thing yeah because oh. that's when we had the those two youth speakers that one young woman and that one young yes. man who spoke about oh, yeah. okay so it. it wasn't a priesthood session it was just like a general or like an adult I session see. okay that sort of thing okay i'm gonna have to go back and read those talks because i remember that last year i mean every conference session was pretty great um but yeah so it was, i thought it was still just interesting how it's been two years since a priesthood session, so I hope everyone who listened definitely, like, we all need to get something good out of it. So, anyways, so President Nelson, he reemphasizes that adversity is a great teacher and suggests four lessons he hopes everyone has learned during the last few years and will never forget. So, one, home is a center of faith and worship. So he was talking about how we need to increase the holiness in our homes to make it a truly sacred and holy place. You can do that as a single person with your family, however you choose to do it, with your friends even. Lesson number two is that we need each other. So he said, God wants us to work together and help each other. That's why he sends us to earth and families and organizes us into wards and stakes. 
That's why he asks us to serve and minister to each other. That's why he asks us to live in the world, but not be of the world. We can accomplish so much more than we can alone. I really like that. And I feel like there's been a bit of a theme, um, a minor one of unity throughout these sessions. Like no matter our different beliefs, whether political or religious, we can still come together. We need each other to exist. We need each other to grow. Um, Lesson three is that your priesthood or quorum is meant for more than just a meeting. So he said that the work that the Lord has given to priesthood quorums was never meant to be confined to a meeting. Meetings are only a small part of what a quorum is meant for and what it can do. That's really good. I loved that point the most. Because we do tend to hyper-focus on the weekly meetings of, you know, priesthood, Relief Society, young men, young women, that sort of thing. But we forget that, like, those meetings are just meant for us to coordinate together and to build each other up. But, like, we need to be doing more outside of our quorums to make them truly effective. Like, we need to be ministering more effectively and we need to be communicating with one another and creating a truly safe place for belonging and love and inclusion. And if we're not doing that, then we're missing the whole point of our quorum. Exactly. So important. And then his fourth lesson was that we hear Jesus Christ better when we are still. Very, <laughs> pretty well said. So he also says that commotion in the world will continue to increase. In contrast, the voice of the Lord is not a voice of great tumultuous noise, but it is a still voice of perfect mildness, like a whisper, and it pierces to the very soul. In order to hear this still voice, you too must be still. That is super important. Like I've been needing a lot of revelation and a lot of guidance in my life lately, and it's very hard to get because I am always trying to do something. It's very hard to just not do stuff. It's very difficult for me. I've got my phone. I've got my computer. I've got an 18-month-old in the house. Uh, there's a dog. There's food. There's candy. Like ever, I'm so easily distracted by everything. But I have noticed that when I am still, when I take the time, that I can feel myself growing closer to the Lord and getting what I need. Yeah. And it's funny because the running joke on, at least on Twitter, is that people don't want to be alone with their thoughts because... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yikes. It's scary in my mind. Like it's <laughs> no one wants to be truly alone with your thoughts, but that's what the Lord needs. Like it's hard to get to that point where you are finally comfortable, like taking that time to just think and to let yourself either feel emotions or like fully process the things that have happened during the week. But once you finally do find comfort in being alone and being alone with your thoughts, that's when the spirit really will speak to you the loudest. Teaching yourself to be quiet in your mind is very difficult, um, but it brings immense value and potential there. Mm -hmm. And so he said, discipline yourself to have time alone and with your loved ones. Open your heart to God in prayer. Take time to immerse yourself in the scriptures and worship in the temple. So by doing these things, it, you will learn and find ways that will help you to be still, to find that peace that you need in order to listen to the Holy Spirit and to receive revelation. So now we're going to move on to the Sunday morning session, which I call the international session. 
this session was everything for me. Like I needed every single moment of this session. Nothing makes me cry faster than primary kids singing primary songs in another language. And they did it to me twice. They <laughs> like, did. It was, oh, it was so precious. There was that perfect little primary choir from South Korea mm-hmm. seeing, singing, I oh love to gosh. see the temple. And the other one was women, young women and primary kids singing, I am a child of God in languages from all over the world. And every speaker in this session was from another country. I mean, with the exception of like President Nelson from America, everyone else was from another country outside of America. We had Elder Suarez from Brazil, Sister Roberto from Nicaragua, Elder Palmer from New Zealand, Elder Dubé from Zimbabwe, Elder Teixeira from Portugal, Elder Wakolo from Fiji, Elder Wong from Hong Kong, Elder Tay from the Philippines, and then, of course, President Nelson from America. Huge. Huge. So exciting. So many powerful speakers. This session made me realize how often we hear from general authorities that are solely from America. Like you had mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, we are truly a worldwide church, and we need to hear more from the leadership of the church that are outside the U.S. We need that representation. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if it's like my HR (laughs) career mentality talking, but like you could easily throw in two to three speakers from other countries per session of conference. Oh, yeah. And still, and still have the first presidency and quorum of the 12 speak. Straight up. Like you could still have that diverse voice to solidify the fact that we are a global church instead of just having the same 16. 24 people speak every single conference like exactly we have multiple quorums of the 70 like pull Mm -hmm. from that like pull from all of these other countries like pull that representation we need it we need to have more representation and we need to hear these voices because they're going to have different messages that are all going to be very different that we're going to need to hear we need all of that Um, So we're not discounting all of our great leaders. We're not discounting the quorum or our president or anything like that. But we are an international church. I believe we do have more women, female women members. We have more singles. We have people around the globe and we need to be hearing these voices. Yeah, we definitely do. We, we, We just do. Like this is a like it's improving a little bit by year for the most part. And I really hope that we can continue to to do that too. Yeah, like you said, even have two or three speakers from each country per session and conference to solidify that. Like we we need that. We want it. I want it. Let's let's make it happen, you guys. Like I loved having an international session, but like we need to spice it up. Like give me more. Give me more during the all of the sessions. All of them. Right. It needs to become something that is normal. Yeah. Not just like on special occasion. Yeah. So one of those voices that we wanted to highlight is Edward Dubé of the 70, his talk pressing toward the mark. So he said, quote, to press toward the mark is to faithfully continue on the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life with our savior and our father in heaven, end quote. So he really focuses on how everything that we're doing in this life needs to be pushing us forward. Like we can't focus on our past, our fears, our failures, or our like grief and our sadness. Like we need to just lose ourselves in the savior and we need to not 
dwell on the past things that have hurt us, but focus on how those things can help us to look forward, to press forward, and to trust in the Lord. And one of those stories that he shares is from his first general conference leadership meeting in 2012 and how he felt completely overwhelmed and inadequate to even be in the room with all of those men. But he said that as he entered the room, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland came up to him and said, Edward, it's so good to see you here. And then he tenderly patted his cheeks like a baby and he helped him feel the spirit of belonging. And he highlighted this story because he wanted to help us understand that our feelings of inadequacy can be quelled through love and kindness brought by others and that we can do the same thing for them and that doing this specifically helps us press toward the mark. And so I really love thinking about how, yeah, you may be feeling inadequate, but like someone else might be feeling inadequate. And if you feel inadequate, wouldn't you want someone to reach over and like maybe not pat you on the cheeks, but wouldn't you want someone to like help you feel more comfortable and welcome where you are? Go outside of yourself, step forward and help someone feel loved and welcome. And then he focused on President Nelson's talk from last general conference, Let God Prevail. And he asked these poignant questions from President Nelson's talk. He said, are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Will you allow his voice to take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in his? Honestly, like throughout this conference, so many people quoted Let God Prevail. There were so many speakers who were bringing that up. And I felt like that was like my resounding theme of conference of, am I willing to let God prevail in my life? Am I willing to let his voice take the top spot over everything else in my life? Like, am I really willing to let myself go, essentially? Am I willing to do everything I can to just follow the Savior? And if I don't have an answer for that, then I need to be working on that immediately. And then he wrapped up his talk by saying that it's not so much about what we are going through in life, but it's what we are becoming. And I love that quote so much because it really is true. Like at the end of it, it doesn't really matter what we went through in our lives. It matters if we used what we went through to become a better person, to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I just, I love Elder Dubé. He's great. That was such a good talk. Um, Okay, so for the next one, I just really wanted to highlight a quote that I really appreciated. Okay, so Elder Jose A. Teixeira, I really hope we're saying it right, of the Presidency of the 70, he gave a talk titled, Remember Your Way Back Home. And he just shared an, an excellent quote that I really appreciated. He said, knowing who you are changes what you feel and what you do. Understanding who you truly are better prepares you to recognize and remember your way back to your heavenly home and yearn to be there. And I feel like that's something that we can really embody um, through all of this general conference and throughout our lives to reflect on who we are, whether, you know, we're single, we're married, like who we are on the inside, who we're striving to be, the the short-term goals that we are working on, um, building that spirit of belonging being a stone catcher, there is so much for us to consider about who we are and the better that we know that and are able to act on who we are will help us get to heaven. It will help us get to our heavenly parents because they know who we are and they want to help us get to that point of understanding and progress. The better we know ourselves and work on that and follow the Lord, the more we will be able to do that, to understand that. 
So I just want to highlight that um, before we go on. Um, okay, so Elder Chi Hung Wong or Sam Wong of the Quorum of the Seventy gave a talk titled, They Cannot Prevail, We Cannot Fall. He talked about some really good stuff. So he gave a quote, How can we let God prevail in our lives and not the adversary? Although earth and hell may combine against us, they cannot prevail if we choose to let God prevail by establishing our lives upon his rock. So he reminds us of the primary song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. And he talked about how like the circumstances were the same for both men in building their homes, but the outcome was different in each case because where our foundation is really matters. And this has a decisive effect on the outcome ultimately and eternally. So if we study our foundation on Jesus Christ, we cannot fall. As we endure faithfully to the end, God will help us establish our lives upon his rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We may not be able to change all that is coming, but we can choose how we prepare for what is coming. That's my favorite part, I think. Ah. He explains how the gospel is so important and we can't have it limited to only one day a week, like on Sundays. We can't just focus on that on sun- church on Sundays and move on. Like He emphasizes how our entire lives should be filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, the gospel is not part of our life, but our life is actually part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Is that not true? Our mortal life is only part of the whole plan of salvation and exaltation. We can't just be halfway in. We need to have that perfect foundation on Jesus Christ. We need to be always working on that as well. The short-term goals will help us make those long-term goals. Like We cannot get through the plan of salvation just ignoring everything or occasionally ignoring it. We need to always be focused and centered on moving forward. I loved his talk. I've already reviewed it a couple times since conference, and I just, I love it. It hurts, but in a good way. So the last talk we want to talk about from the Sunday morning session is President Nelson's talk, Christ is Risen, Faith in Him Will Move Mountains. So for me, I felt like his whole talk was a massive chastisement because he was focusing on faith being the means of miracles in your life and how if the mountains in your life aren't moving by your faith, it's because you don't have enough faith and trust in him. And that was like a, okay, Tracy, there's your sign, but we'll get into that. So so he starts by saying, quote, faith in Jesus Christ is the foundation of all belief and the conduit of divine power. It is our faith that unlocks the power of God in our lives, and yet exercising faith can seem overwhelming. At times, we may wonder if we can possibly muster enough faith to receive the blessings we so desperately need. However, the Lord put those fears to rest through the words of Book of Mormon prophet Alma, end quote. So he shares the account of Alma in Alma 32, where he asks us to simply experiment upon the word and have just enough of a desire to believe that we'll be able to move mountains in our lives. He also encourages us to not focus on having perfect faith, but for us to believe in Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father enough to have access to his perfect power. He says, quote, Your mountains may be loneliness, doubt, illness, or other personal problems. Your mountains will vary, and yet the answer to each of your challenges is to increase your faith. It takes work. Lazy learners and lax disciples will always struggle to muster even a particle of faith. End quote. Oof. 
oh, that hurt. When he said it, I was like, oh, gosh, am I lazy? It's like, why? <laughs> right? It's always like, am I doing enough? What more can I be doing? Which, honestly, when he said that, I was like, oh, no, am I lazy? Yeah. Yes, I am. I am a lazy person. I am very uh. lazy. And it was like, oh, gosh, this talk hurts. It hurts so much. Uh. It cuts me so deeply. But it's oh my gosh. the kind of chastisement that, like, you need like it's the loving kind of chastisement like the lord chastises those he loves and so like this was clearly an indication to me that heavenly father is like i love you you can do better so like what is stopping you from doing better of course and i mean i think it's really important to iterate i think that we will always struggle through our faith because we're not being asked to have perfect faith we're just asking being asked to have enough so Struggling with faith is normal, and it's part of the journey for us to learn from. We're always going to be wondering if we're doing enough. There's going to be times in our life where there's really only so much we can be doing, and there's going to be times where we are able to do more because of time, because of our mental health, because of other responsibilities. So it's really important for us to be able to work out for ourselves what is going to be the most that we can be doing. And yes, sometimes, especially like I agree with you right now, like I'm not. I know I'm not doing enough. Like I, I know that I could be doing more and I need to be doing more. Well, you're in luck, Kaylee, because he then offered five ways to help develop faith and trust in the Lord and to not be a lazy learner. Oh, so, brilliant. I know. Let's dive in. <laughs> so he said, first, study, become an engaged learner of the gospel. Quote, only your unbelief will keep God from blessing you with miracles to move the mountains in your life, end quote. Which again, oof, clearly I know what the problem is in my life. Second one, choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Quote, study with a desire to believe rather than with a hope that you can find a flaw in the fabric of a prophet's life or a discrepancy in the scriptures. Stop increasing your doubts by rehearsing them with other doubters, end quote. That one's really interesting because I really like how it says choose to believe in Christ. It's not just believe in Christ, it's choose to believe. It's an active thing that you have to be doing. And it's interesting that it's like find a flaw in the fabric of a prophet's life because there there are flaws. We we know that. There are discrepancies in the scriptures. Like we are aware of this. It's just not an excuse to just set everything aside and ignore the testimony that you already have, the personal revelation that you have received in your life. Like if you're looking for a problem, you are going to find it. You can understand and accept the flaws and the problems while still finding the truth and the light. I like how he said, stop increasing your doubts by rehearsing them with other doubters, because it is so easy to just find people that think the same way as you. And if you are shouting your doubts to other doubters, you're basically just entering an echo chamber. You're only going to get doubts back. And so your doubts are not going to be answered. Your questions aren't going to be answered. Your doubts aren't going to be silenced. They're just going to be amplified. But if you are sharing your doubts with people that have strong faith or have a testimony or have had the same doubts that you've had in your life and they have been able to find answers or find peace and find comfort, then you're going to be able to find those things too. It just further emphasized to me the importance of who you're sharing your doubts with. Have that solid support system that will hear your doubts and accept them 
and encourage you to test them and to question them and to study and to learn instead of just being like, oh, well, you know what the problem is. You just need to leave. Right. It Yes. I think that's a really, really valuable point to make because I mean, especially like with all the political problems and concerns and issues last year, like there were a lot of moments where I had questions and I want to like make sense of complicated things within the church. And like, there were a lot of, like, I have people that I can talk to, um, but I knew that there were certain people that I could not bring my questions to because they would just set this all aside. Like they wouldn't really hear me out, whether or not they believed in the same things as I did or not. Like they just, I knew it would not be an effective conversation because they would not be hearing me out. They would not be understanding my concerns and they'd just be giving me an answer to pacify me, to convince me to believe whatever they wanted to believe. You need to be going to someone who's going to listen to you, to hear you out and help you figure out how to find your own answers. And like, that's why I texted you like twice as much as usual last year, because I was like, this doesn't make sense to me, Tracy. Like I need someone to hear out all my paranoid questions right now to see if I can make sense of this. And like, that's what you did. You're just like, okay, well, here's what I know. Here's what I believe. Here's all the facts that we have. And you need to figure this out for yourself. And I was like, excellent. That's what we got to do. We got to be that for each other. Exactly. All right. So the third thing he suggests is to act in faith. The fourth one is to partake of sacred ordinances. And the fifth one is to ask Heavenly Father for help. He says, quote, God knows what will help your faith grow. Ask and then ask again, end quote. And I really liked that he said ask and then act, ask again because you're not just going to get an answer the first time you ask. You have to keep asking this question or like rephrasing your question so that way you can get the revelation that you need and the answers that you need. That's true. Yes. Well, that exactly. Like we are going to have to ask again and ask it differently. Like, mm-hmm. like we've, we've talked about this. Like you're not always going to get a really big, vague answer because you're asking a really big, vague question. Like you need to learn and study and ponder it more to figure out how you can get to the right question to get the right answer when you're ready for it. Exactly. I love that. So then he says a couple of really great and powerful quotes. So I'm going to kind of just like lump them all into one massive quote. Okay. So he says, quote, faith takes work. Receiving revelation takes work. Do not minimize the faith you already have. Faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest power available to us in this life. All things are possible to them that believe. The mountains in our lives do not always move how or when we would like, but our faith will always propel us forward. Faith always increases our access to godly power. End quote. This really helped me to remember that we have the power to do everything we need to do in our lives. We have the power to overcome our challenges. We have the power to become better people. We have the power to receive revelation. We have the power to act in faith even if we don't know everything immediately or perfectly. We have that power in us because we believe in Jesus Christ and because we have his atonement. And if we are not doing everything that we can to build on the faith that we already have, we are never going to see change in our lives, whether it's overcoming a trial, becoming a better person, or finding motivation to do what the Lord needs us to do. We will never do that if we are not working on our faith. And so I just loved this chastisement from the prophet, and I appreciated it. 
and him kicking my butt in putting it in gear again. I really loved this talk a lot. It's very good. All right, so that is us closing out the Sunday morning session, and we're diving into the Sunday afternoon session. So we hope you're still with us. We're almost done. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> almost done out of the five sessions. So we're almost there. There's some really great points we want to highlight. And of course, how can we ignore Elder Dallin H. Oaks's talk as a first counselor in the first presidency? And his talk about defending our divinely inspired constitution. <laughs> yes. Keep going. Keep going. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I just can't handle it. Oh my gosh. This okay. talk is just, I, I feel like he's gone from like being like all stodgy and he's just like trying to like surprise us. Like it's really, he hit us with the old bait and switch. Honestly, I just, it's driving me nuts still. Oh my gosh. I was so stressed. Yes. So stressed when he was like, I felt inspired to talk about the our divinely inspired US Constitution. I immediately unclicked my pen and sang in my chair, like, oh dear Lord, no, oh, yeah. please, not I this. Was- oh my gosh. We are in a horror movie. We are going back into this rut. How dare you do this to me? And then he, he like, he got me. He got me so good. It's like he punked us all. It was like, he was, it's like he was trying to like bait the far right people into being like, yes, the constitution. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, surprise. (laughs) I'm not talking about that. Honestly, yes. I had so many. Wild. I had so many concerns. Like the moment he, yeah, the moment he said it, I was just, I, I, yeah, I had a pen. I put down everything and I pulled out my phone to like distract (laughs) myself to talk to you. I was like, I can't do this right now. Like, no, I don't need this. I get enough of this garbage from my family. Like I grew up memorizing the constitution. We had a quiz game, like a huge event in our Commonwealth school where we like memorized the constitution and then like had to like answer questions and like quiz each other on our clauses and the amendments. And I don't remember just about any of it because I've been trying to be a better person. Yes. Um, I mean, my team did win, but congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, but okay. But there, we had a lot of concerns about this in the beginning, especially because as we've said a dozen times before so far, the church is a global church and people outside the U S are less likely to know or care about the U S constitution. It's still an imperfect document made by imperfect people. And so, like, we had so many concerns starting out with this, but he really did end up surprising us in this talk. So we're going to dive into some of his points. So starting off, he did talk about moral agency and how everyone has a right to have a voice in making laws and electing leaders, meaning voters' rights, please. I was really surprised by that. So that like got me listening again. And so he also talks about how the document was divinely inspired, but it does not mean that divine revelation dictated every word and phrase. Yes. Eh, so that sorry. Right? Yes. <laughs> You're good. I love that. I quote. actually <laughs> yes. Yes. So I was just like, are you like, ah, that real that really got me. So that can go more directly into the constitution as well as other church related material saying things can be divinely inspired to come into creation and existence, but every part of it is not necessarily divine revelation and so on. Preach. Yes. Hello. Oh, I love that. 
love that. So that that just like really pieced the other few things for me. I really enjoyed that. Another thing that he was careful to point out is that we are not loyal to a person, but to a cause. So he termed that as a constitution, something that he said is still not perfect, but needs to be continuously improved, which I thought that was very interesting because I know the argument whether or not the constitution is a living document. I mean, it was supposed to like be redrawn up like every like what, 20 or 50 years or something like that. I think so. So it should be a living document. There's a lot that still super needs to be improved upon. Mm -hmm. And, but he made it a really good point. So, I mean, the constitution is a weird thing to be loyal to, but like the principles, I do understand that. And we're not supposed to be loyal to a person because not every person he said is going to imbue our principles. So no matter who you're voting for, no matter who you support in politics, they're not going to be perfect. You can't, you should not be loyal to that person. If you're doing that, I mean, you're basically, if you're doing that, you're basically idolizing someone. You've got your own golden calf. Yeah. So you need to be focusing on the principles and look for those leaders that are imbuing the majority of those principles. I think what I loved about that point specifically is he said that that will lead you to voting across party lines. Yes, that's right. You need to find positions that are non-negotiable in your book. You need to find specific things that are non-negotiable and other things that you are a little more flexible on. And you need to be voting according to those principles that you have in your life and not by a dictated or dedicated party. You need to inform yourself, you need to pray about them, and then you need to make an informed decision. You can't just blindly go in and be like, well, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. I always have been. I can only vote for this party. No, you should be looking at their full resume, their stances on the issues, their plans, their policies, everything, and making informed decisions. And I love that he highlighted that. So important. Love that. Okay, so he gave another interesting quote. So he says, What else are faithful Latter-day Saints to do? We must pray for the Lord to guide and bless all nations and their leaders. This is part of our article of faith. Being subject to presidents or rulers, of course, poses no obstacle to our opposing individual laws or policies. It does require that we exercise our influence civilly and peacefully within the framework of our constitutions and applicable laws. On contested issues, we should seek to moderate and unify. I thought that was really important as well because, I mean, the church does put out the occasional political thing. Like, you know, they do one for every president as they come in saying, hey, like, we see this person as a president now. Like, you've clearly won. Like, congrats. Like, we'll continue working with you and so on with the laws and everything. Like, that's what they do for every president. Like, any political issue, of course, people are going to have their opinions. And we've seen a lot of, like, hate speech and, like, boundaries being crossed and people when they see things like that. And that's been very surprising and hurtful in a number of ways for a lot of us who are just like okay like we know you're not happy about this like have you actually been like praying about this have you actually been considering like the principles that you follow and so on last year was very difficult and i think it's only going to get more magnified and a lot of what is being said in general conferences being is asking us to be united as a people to support one another to empathize with those we don't understand as well I mean, we, he, he says that we can vote for who we want to and still be faithful church members. Hello. And we don't have a right to judge one another for our choices. 
this was powerful to me as well because it's it's easy to judge and say, hey, you're you you believe that that's stupid, like you're a bad person now because you support this person. It's so easy to just like make that statement and just go with it and like cut everyone else out of your life. And I've had to do that in a few situations because they weren't respecting me. But I'm trying to do better where I can at least give people a chance to work together. Um, so the last quote I have is that. Uh, Elder Oaks said, we teach correct principles and leave our members to choose how to prioritize and apply those principles on the issues presented from time to time. We also insist, and we ask our local leaders to insist, that political choices and affiliations not be the subject of teachings or advocacy in any of our church meetings. Yes, 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 yes. I enjoy speaking about political issues with my friends, but that is not something that is supposed to be discussed in church. I don't want to be talking and have them bring up the president. I don't want that. I don't want to be in the middle of a lesson and start suddenly have them start relating how this affects like our local uh, mayor or anything like that. I don't want that. That's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. And it's very easy to get that subject convoluted. And we don't have the right to be saying here, like, let's go vote for this person together on this day, like inside during church. Yeah, that talk blew my mind. I was dreading it at the beginning, and by the end of it, I was ready to give him a standing ovation. Like, I was so invested in this talk. It was very strange. I mean, I wish in a few ways he could have been, like, a little bit more specific, but I'm, like, willing I'm willing to work with this. Yeah. I, I accept it. Yeah. So. Same. All right. So the next talk is by Timothy J. Dykes of the 70, Light Cleaveth Unto Light. So he shared a story about repelling in caves with his son and how at one point they like all of the electricity turns off and they couldn't see anything and they like they couldn't even see the rope in front of them that they were holding on to as they were repelling and he explained how they were able to feel the darkness as they were like waiting there and waiting for the lights to come back on and he said our descent into that cavern in some ways parallels our journey through mortality we departed from the glorious light of heaven and descended through a veil of, for- of forgetfulness to a darkened world. Our Heavenly Father did not abandon us to darkness, but promised us light for our journey through his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. As we intensify our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive light in intensifying measure until it dispels all darkness that might gather around us. That which is of God's light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. This was such a powerful image to think about because the more we cleave to our covenants and to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the brighter things are for us. And I know that I can say from my own experience that when I focus more on working on my faith and like studying the scriptures and doing everything I possibly can to keep the spirit with me, I do feel a difference in my mental health as well. I feel like things are lighter and easier in my mind. And that's not to say that like Jesus is the only way for me to cure my mental illness. That's definitely not it. I need Jesus no. and therapy. Lexapro helps. Yeah. <laughs> I need Jesus therapy and Lexapro to make everything great. Mm-hmm. But Team effort. But it is so true that like if you are consistently building on the light that you already have in your lives, things will only get brighter. You're not going to lose any light. You're just going to get more of it. And so I really liked that he was sharing how that is the thing. Like 
If you focus on the darkness in your life, you're going to get swallowed up by darkness. But if you focus on the light in your life, you're going to get swallowed up in the light of Christ. And I love how it doesn't like say that like we're never going to be in the darkness, but we can focus on the goodness that there is, the light that there is. And then we will start to improve one way or another. We'll start to see the progress. All right. So I did want to highlight a section from Elder David A. Bednar's talk. He's in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and his talk was titled The Principles of My Gospel. So I'm honestly just going to like read this whole section and then like highlight it. So he talks about how President Dallin H. Oaks spoke in General Conference in 1998 about the Aaronic priesthood holder's duties related to preparing and administering the sacrament. He described the principles of non-distraction and indicated that a holder of the Aaronic priesthood would never want anything in his appearance or behavior to distract any member of the church from his or her worship and renewal of covenants. President Oaks also emphasized the related principles of orderliness, cleanliness, reverence, and dignity. Interestingly, President Oaks did not provide for the young men a lengthy list of things to do or not to do. Rather, he explained the principle with the expectation that the young men and their parents and teachers could and should use their own judgment and inspiration to follow the guideline. He explained, Quote, I will not suggest detailed rules since the circumstances in various wards and branches in our worldwide church are so different that a specific rule that seems required in one setting may be inappropriate in another. Rather, I will suggest a principle based on the doctrines. If all understand this principle and act in harmony with it, there should be little need for rules. If rules or counseling are needed in individual cases, local leaders can provide them consistent with the doctrines and their related principles. So I really like this because I've been trying to work through lately how I always want very precise answers given. I want to be given a set of rules on what to do next. I want like a whole detailed plan laid out for me. And I want a very clear list of rules on how to act in my life. That is not how it works. And I know a lot of people want that as well. I know we all want, you know, we want our church leaders to say more than Black Lives Matter. We want them to say a lot more specific things under a lot of certain circumstances. But they're not going to do that, which is a disappointment to a certain extent. But we need to understand agency. We need to understand other concerns, and we need to understand our principles. The principles of the gospel remain the same, no matter how the church changes through time. We've seen a lot of changes start to come around. Like, uh, for example, uh, the priesthood holders who pass around the sacrament, they're allowed to have facial hair now, right? And they don't necessarily have to wear a white shirt, as used to be the rule. And so it's small things like that that are going to be changing. But the overall point of being able to pass pass the sacrament, they do need to have the priesthood with them. I really appreciated the fact that he emphasized what Oak said about principles of orderliness, cleanliness, reverence, and dignity. Nowhere does it say like principles of white shirts and ties, principles of clean shavenness, principles of you must wear a suit and tie, principles of you will not have tattoos, principles of you must have missionary haircuts, like none of that. He just said orderliness, cleanliness, reverence, and dignity. And those are the principles you should be focusing on. And I think that extends to more than just priesthood holders. I think that it extends to every member of the church. 
that if you are judging someone, well, first of all, you shouldn't be judging someone, but if you're judging someone because they have a haircut that's a little different than what you're used to, then like, how does that apply to orderliness, cleanliness, reverence, and dignity whatsoever? Like, you need to reevaluate things. Right. And that was the second point um, that I want to make, but totally forgot. So thank you. We don't have any right to be judging people. Just because they are not following the same rules that we have set in our own minds does not mean that they are not keeping the principles of the doctrine of our church. Ladies, gents, dudes, please work on that. It's not always fun, but I swear you will be so much happier in your life because of that. I assure you of that. All right, so the last thing we wanted to cover was President Nelson's closing address for conference. Um, He talked about COVID-19 a lot and the temple. Um, And I kind of loved how (laughs) this first quote was like a smack in the face to people in a way. He says, quote, when the incident of COVID-19 in your area is within safe limits, your temple will be reopened. Do all you can to bring COVID numbers down in your area so that your temple opportunities can increase, end quote. That was kind of him being like, stop asking me when the temples will open because you all can't wear a stupid mask and do what you're supposed to do to stop spreading COVID. We have a responsibility to care for one another. If we haven't made that clear enough in this episode, then I don't know what like we've been doing this entire time. COVID numbers are not going down they are still increasing and this new variant is not helping. And it has been scientifically proven that wearing masks and getting the vaccine will help decrease the spread of the virus so that we can be around one another safely. If you want further proof of that, we basically eradicated the flu virus in 2020 because everyone was wearing masks. So like, it works. Just accept it. Get off your high horse. Put on a stupid mask. We don't want to wear them. Nobody is saying that we want to wear them. I'm tired of wearing a mask. I am tired of socially distancing. I am tired of not going places and doing fun things that I want to be doing. But I do it because I don't want to be the reason that somebody else gets sick. And if you cannot get it through your fat freaking head, that is why we're doing this, then you need to sit down and repent and figure out what the Lord actually wants you to do when he means care for your brothers and sisters, because I'm sick of this crap. I am sick of it. Amen. Get the damn vaccine. I don't care which one. Just get it. It's free. For crying out loud, it's not hurting anyone. Just get the freaking vaccine. Just get it. If you get charged for the vaccine, you can fight it. FYI. Anyways, like, you guys. Okay, I'm done. I could go on a COVID rant for hours. I'm going to stop right. now. Off the soapbox. We can do another episode about <sighs> that if you want. Anyways, so he goes on to talk about how temples are a vital part of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the ordinances that take place in the temple fill our lives with power and strength that can be available in no other way besides the temple. And then. If you thought he was done there, he was just getting started because he was like, surprise, here's 20 new temples that we're announcing. What? 20. I I looked at my sister. (laughs) We were in the kitchen away from the TV because we were trying to get ready for Easter dinner with my family. And we just stared at each other and we're like, did you hear hear 20? Like, 
that that can't be right. So like we had to like leave the kitchen and dropped what we were doing. And we were like, I'm sorry, President Nelson. What did he say? And he wasn't kidding. You guys. No, I, I'm really excited though, because the majority of them are international ones. And I know that's the hardest for people to get to their temples. And it's really exciting to see how many are going to be around the world. Like, I, I hope they can come soon. Should we read through them? Sure. All right. So the first one's in Oslo, Norway. Brussels, Belgium. Vienna, Austria. Kumasi, Ghana. Vieira, Mozambique. Cape Town, South Africa. Singapore and the Republic of Singapore. Belo Horizonte, Brazil. Cali, Colombia. Querétaro, Mexico. Torreon, Mexico. Helena, Montana. Casper, Wyoming. That'll be the second temple in Wyoming. I know, that's weird. What? <laughs> Grand Junction, Colorado. Farmington, New Mexico. Burley, Idaho. Eugene, Oregon. Elko, Nevada. Yorba Linda, California. And Smithfield, Utah. There's always going to be a new one in Utah. It's always. Always. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, but that is really exciting, you yeah. guys, to be bringing about temples. That's 20. Because we're, we've got 120, 100 something in the works with at least like another 40 or 50 still in the works. Like this is, this is really big. It's usually like three or five. Goodness. So those are all of the talks that we wanted to highlight in this year's April 2021 general conference. In all five sessions, there was a lot that was shared that was absolutely incredible. It was a very powerful session. There was a lot of good material in there. There are so many quotes that we wanted to share, and we were able to share most of them. And it's just, it's very exciting. All that we learned and all that we got to talk about. And of course, there is still hope for what comes next. For those who had difficulties, for the problems and concerns that we had in this conference session, at least for us, we still have more hope for more change as we go, more open-hearted talks, more international and women speakers, and so on. We hope and we believe that we'll begin to see more change and a lot more hope and understanding as uh, down conference and as the church progresses, as time progresses. We, we did learn a lot and we still had a few concerns with some of it, as you know, as you could tell, and that's okay. And if you are not comfortable watching or listening to it, then that's all right. That's nothing you need to feel guilt or shame toward. You need to do what is best for you. And if you're still comfortable listening to us today, we are very grateful to you for that. And if you don't like everything we said, that's okay. You don't have to. You're under absolutely no obligation. We hope you did just because that's <laughs> like, we love to be like, we love people agreeing with us. Sure. But Hey, if you disagree, like, you're totally within your right, and we do not mind. If you want to have a conversation with us, please feel free and reach out to us. Like We're here to listen as well to you and our church leaders. Exactly. So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. We are so glad that we got to have this time to talk with you about General Conference, and we will talk to you all next week. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.